Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshop.net. Episode 71, Scrap Catholic Schools Week. I'm not sure how radio stations work, but I get the feeling that when they cover, let's say, a fairly heavy topic, something that's big in the news, they like to lighten the mood or intersperse these big stories with something like a competition or maybe a light story, a fluffy story of some sort. You know the kind of news that you, you, know, you mainly hear in August when there's not much going on, you know, the story of a pet that goes missing and then three years later returns home out of the blue. You know, those kind of stories and they talk to the dog owner who's delighted and so on and so forth. But it isn't really, you know, a big news story, just something as a filler, let's say. So one day I was heading home from work and I was listening to a story about street furniture, one of those light stories, but how much of it there is around. And the person who was being interviewed was arguing that it might be time for us to take down a lot of the signs that really litter the streets, um, especially direction signs, you know, about, you know, how to get to the next town or the next city or whatever it might be, especially given that we all have phones with sat-navs now and even cars with inbuilt sat-navs. And it was really only after listening to that interview that I noticed how many street signs there actually were. Like, I generally travel the same way home every single day for the last seven years, and I never noticed how many street signs there were. And I I couldn't actually drive 10 meters, I'd say 10 meters, without some sort of traffic sign or some other sign basically telling me something, you know, I might have needed to know, but I never noticed them. They're absolutely everywhere. So, you know, I mean, I presume you know the cliche, uh, the, the, the cliche of this, if an alien landed on planet Earth and, you know, wondered all these things, you know, for example, I mean, the most famous one, of course, that they, uh, the, these days is the alien comes down to Earth and wonders why we have this plastic rectangular object in our pocket that contains all of the information in the world and then wonders why we use it to show pictures of cats. Well, I imagine that that alien would look at all our road signs and wonder why we need so many obvious signals when there's nothing else to do. Why would you have a turn left sign when that's the only thing to do? So what has this introduction got to do with Catholic Schools Week? And why would I scrap it if I were the Minister for Education? Hello, hello, you are welcome to episode 71 of If I Were the Minister for Education. This is Simon Lewis from Onshaw.net, a weekly podcast which takes an element of the primary education system and I try to ascertain why it is the way it is and what I would do to change it if I were the Minister for Education. Well, what better week, I suppose, to cover Catholic Schools Week than on Catholic Schools Week. And I'm going to talk to you why I would scrap Catholic Schools Week. But before I do that, let me get back to that poor alien I was discussing in our introduction, because I had a bit of a Google about that alien, um, who might be wondering about those road signs and mobile phones. And I looked at it at the first site that came up because these sites exist of what would an alien think if he came down to the, the planet Earth or it came down to the planet Earth and what other things would they think about? And 
it's some of the things I thought were quite good. Um, why do we shine little rocks and then decorate our bodies with them? Um, or why do we pay millions to human beings to pre pretend to be other human beings um, uh, and then video them doing that? And why, why do we kidnap other species into our homes? And, and finally, why? Why do, these, why do these weird aliens, why do we leak water from our eyes at times? I don't know. Anyway, I think I've probably mentioned on this podcast before that if an alien landed in a primary school in Ireland, he'd be very puzzled by quite a few things. He'd see that we, as, I suppose, as, as, as teachers, we don't even notice. But one doesn't actually have to be from a different planet to notice these things, if you think about it. Because if you, let me, how can I put this? Let's say we got into a time machine a hundred years ago, okay? And we were transported back to a hundred years ago. I would have been referred to as an alien in Ireland. And I genuinely, I was an alien uh, because of my ethnicity. Um, anyone who wasn't, uh, who was a migrant uh, to, the, to, the, to the country or anyone who was from a migrant background was known as an alien. That was the original meaning of the word alien uh, before it became an extraterrestrial thing. But that aside, this alien, i.e. me, uh, walk into any primary school, pretty much any primary school. And do you know, this alien will be amazed by how much religious symbology there is in there. I, want, I, I wonder if you could do this. Just think about it and just maybe try this before you get your defences up. Walk into your school tomorrow, okay? And count how many things you see that are religious before you get into your classroom. Anything at all that might have a religious link. It could be a statue of Mary or Jesus or some other saint. It could be a sacred heart on the wall. It could be a cross, um, and that could be on the wall. It could be on a uniform. It could be in the logo of the school. It might be a prayer or a, a religious reflection in a, in a in framed. It could be photographs of children in communion regalia. Um, as I said, it could be the logo of the school, which might contain some religious symbology. Or it could even be the name of the school, which again could create, uh, could have like a cross beside it or some religious iconography maybe in a picture or even the word, you know, saint in the title, for example, which is a religious um, inflection. So it, it could even be some children's work on the display board. And, um, you know, and that, that's obviously something that you would see in a religious school, in a denominational school. And I mean, I'm probably leaving a lot of stuff out because it's been a long time since I've been in a religious school. And I think, and this is where I get back to my introduction, like, like that street furniture, you probably pass it by every day, for years maybe, and you've probably never even given it a second thought. You probably haven't seen it. Have a try and walk into your school tomorrow and see, just do a count of how many religious things you see before you get to your classroom. Now, people will often say to me, but you're, Simon, that's, that's all in the past. This is stuff that was there for years. And are you telling me to take down all this historical stuff? You look, nobody takes any notice of it. It's what happens in the classroom that matters. And there's very little religion going on in there, there, I can tell you, Simon. Now, some people, <laughs> go further and they say things like well personally I don't think religion should be in schools 
And sure, I barely teach it anyway. <laughs> I don't even bother with the two and a half hours a week and nobody does. And some go even further than that and they tell me of the fantastic things they do in their classroom. For example, teaching their children about other religions, even though it isn't on the religion curriculum, or teaching about same-sex relationships, even though that goes against the ethos of the school. And do you know what, Simon? You just have to ignore a lot of what the church say and do your own thing in your classroom, you know, because you have to be, and here it is, it's the I word. You see, Simon, we're inclusive to everyone. Now, if you're looking to make me cross, no pun intended, you should definitely say any of those things to me. Yeah, tell me how inclusive you are. Tell me that you go against your school's ethos because you know you just have to pick and choose. Tell me those kinds of things. Tell me that you don't think religion should be in schools but you couldn't be arsed doing anything about it. Tell me all that stuff because the rage grows inside me and I end up blathering something incoherent like I just did there. And as well-meaning as these people are trying to be, these are my colleagues, as well as, uh, you know, when I say in the greater scheme of things, not the ones in my school, because they're not in a Catholic school, but, the, but these are colleagues generally around Ireland. As, as well-meaning as they're trying to be, a Catholic school is a Catholic school for only one reason. And that one reason is different to any other type of school, any other type whether that's a Church of Ireland school, a Muslim school, an Educate Together school, a Community National school, or whatever. The only, 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 I cannot emphasize the word only enough, the only thing that a Catholic school does differently to any other type of school is that they promote Catholicism to everyone that attends that school. That is the only difference. There is nothing else that a Catholic school does that is any different to any other ethos. And they have no monopoly on anything else they try to, and, and they tend to purport to be. I mean, they don't promote any other belief system. They promote only their own as the truth. And if you work in a Catholic school, and it's very likely you do if you're, if you're in Ireland and you're a teacher and you're listening to this, whether, you, whether or not you believe in any of that stuff, you are obliged to teach two and a half hours of faith formation every week and Catholic teaching must permeate every aspect of your school day. And if you aren't doing that, you're not fulfilling your contract. And you're not doing any good to anybody either, may I add. You know, you might be making your life a little easier, but you're not making the children in your school's lives any easier really, maybe a little, but you're not doing, you're, in the grander scheme of things, you're making no difference to the world. But that aside, the very reason that you're in the school, that you're in, is most likely because you, at some point, assured the panel, of your, uh, the panel in your interview, possibly, or the principal, or whoever it might be, of your own Catholic credentials. Or you have done a course and passed an exam in teaching the catechisms. And you have promised, at some point, that you will uphold the ethos of the school. And unfortunately, the fact of the matter is that this has been easy for 99% of you. And I use 99% literally uh, because it comes from an NUIG study in 2019. Because in that study, 99% of you identified as being white, 
or Irish, or and Irish, not or Irish, and Irish. And for 95% of you, you also identified as Catholic. And given those variables, it is almost 100% likely that you attended a Catholic school yourself. It's almost certain that you didn't have to learn any of the prayers you, before you got your job because you already knew them. And you probably have a photograph of yourself somewhere, maybe in your parents' house um, or in your own house, in a communion dress or a suit somewhere. And you probably think nothing about going into a church, kneeling down on a kneeler, or popping a piece of communion wafer into your mouth, even if you no longer believe in a God. Because whether or not you like to believe it, by doing these things, you are promoting Catholicism every single day of your career in your school. Now, that's not a criticism of you as a person. It's just something that you have to do. And before you tell me, I have no idea what I'm talking about, let, let, me, let me tell you why I do. <laughs> I worked in Catholic schools, and despite having absolutely no idea what I was doing, I had to promote the ethos of the school to the children in my class every single day, in some way, as ignorant as I was of what I was supposed to be doing. Because every single day, I had to bless myself. I had to recite Hail Marys and Our Fathers, neither of which I knew before I got my job. I had to learn them off by heart. I had to read stories from a live O to the children about, how, about these weird things shaped out of molecule beings. And I sang those really catchy, earwormy songs about how marvellous Jesus was. And I was so good at it. I was so good at it. Uh, I was given the communion class in my second year of the school and added further strings to my bow to the point where a non-Catholic child in my class con was converting to Catholicism because, she, because her mum didn't want to be left out of things. It's just, it makes me cringe even saying that. And the mother asked me, would I be willing to be the godparent to that child? And the, the thing is, the maddest thing, and I'm looking back on it nearly, nearly 15, 16 years, the maddest thing about all of this is that after only a few weeks, maybe a few months of me, of me being in that school as a teacher, from, like I absolutely had no upbringing in Christianity whatsoever, all of it became so invisible to me that while I was, wasn't, you know, stupid enough to try and to take up the mother on the offer because obviously, <laughs> like, there was no way I could do that. But it didn't even really make me flinch. I didn't really think about how, how mad this situation was. I was happy enough to act away and I strummed along my guitar to Catholic prayers and songs without a thought in the world. No problem to me. That's how easy it was for me to become assimilated in a system like that, despite having no background in it. But that was until it became known that I was not Catholic. I was not one of the flock. And then the covert discrimination began. The thing is, and I might be wrong here, had I been born into a Catholic family, I have, an, I have a feeling I probably, I don't know, maybe I would have, but I may not have seen a single thing wrong at the moment. And if I went into teaching, you know, let's say all things different, the only variable that was different was I was born into a Catholic family. And I may not believe in God anymore, or whatever. Maybe everything was the same, but I had a Catholic upbringing. I may very well have 
taught in a Catholic school, you know, I may very well have gotten a principal job by now in a Catholic school, which means I may have been leading assemblies in school with songs about Jesus, and I may have stood up on an altar every May saying how wonderful it was to welcome this, my school's children further into God's family. And I may have even accepted that offer to be the godparent of that child when she converted to Catholicism so she wouldn't feel left out. And I may not have even thought about how mad that was. And I may not have even noticed the growing number of children in my school who had to sit at the back of my classroom, and I may have even used the I word and meant it. Because when you're born into a culture, you tend to accept that culture as if it is totally normal. If I told you, and let me go to the culture I was raised in, if I told you that when I was a child, the tip of my penis was nicked off when I was eight days old, if I told you that at 13, for my bar mitzvah, I had to learn over 10 pages of Hebrew liturgy and not only read it, but sing it on my own in front of over 200 people in a synagogue to become a man. If I told you that the kitchen in my house had two sets of cutlery and two sets of delf, one for using when eating meat and one for using when we weren't. If I told you, when I ate a piece of licorice when I was eight years old during Passover, I genuinely believed that God was going to kill me. If I told you that I was told throughout my childhood that eating pig meat is disgusting, impure, wrong, and a sin so much that I still can't fathom, as an adult, the thought of trying a piece of ham. These things were entirely normal to me, and entirely normal to most of my friends. And in some ways, even as I look back on them, you know, and I don't, I haven't practiced religion for quite some time. I don't even think they're that weird. Such is the power of religious indoctrination when you're a child. You know, those things that I've read off to you might sound mad to you, but they don't sound mad to me, despite the fact that, you know, I don't believe in any of it anymore. But anyone who didn't do those things when I was a child, listen, we weren't horrible to them either. You know, I, people would kind of think, oh, we're, you're telling us we're being mean to non, non-Catholic non children. I'm not saying we were horrible. Like as, as Jewish kids, we were, as, and the Jewish school I went to, we were, no one was horrible to the non-Jewish people in the school. There were no one's horrible in any way. In fact, we were all friends, you know, and it was a very happy school. It was a lovely place. And we were tolerant. That's what we were. We were tolerant. But none of them, none of them were invited to my bar mitzvah. Only the Jews were. Because Catholic schools are so ubiquitous in Ireland, the issue of Catholicism being invisible spreads further because almost everyone in Ireland who was born in Ireland went to a Catholic school, at least 95% of them. This is why nobody thinks twice when they see ads or even offer, even offer ads for bouncy castles or hair and makeup or cupcakes with crosses them for communions and confirmations as if every single person in Ireland is celebrating the same thing. If you go onto any, any website, let's say Facebook, for example, uh, around you know, March, April-ish, or, um, when, when these, you'll see ads all the time. It's communion season, get your bouncy castle, it's communion season, look at our lovely cupcakes. You know, and, and neither bouncy castles or cupcakes have anything to do with Jesus, as far as I'm aware. Uh, maybe the the things they put on top of the cupcakes, they're made out of the same material as um, communion bread. I don't know, maybe they're not, I don't think they are, they're made of icing sugar, aren't they? But, you know, you get the point. There's nothing religious about them, but there's an assumption 
that everybody in Ireland celebrates this thing. And you'll hear this is a Catholic country from a lot of people, even if it isn't true. And, you know, the, the, the fact that people, that every single person in Ireland, lots of people in Ireland, uh, think that everybody is doing this without even thinking about the religious aspect. This is why the majority of people, you know, as well, I mean, like you hear this story every year as I do, and, and people will tell this story. I, I, every time I go to a communion, every time, and I don't go to that many, but every single time I've gone to the communion, I've heard the same, this story. And it's always, I don't know what, it, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's a folklore story kind of in a way. Um, like, there's, like there's plenty, like there's a folklore story in my, from my background in Judaism. I'll tell you this total aside before I tell you this the Catholic story. But like all Irish Jews will tell you that when they, uh, the, how they got to Ireland was they were trying to get to America. Um, but the boat uh, landed in Cork, mainly Cork, and all the passengers, uh, the passengers uh, said they, uh, they they heard the captain saying "Welcome to Cork," and they misheard him and said "Welcome to New York," and they got off the boat and ended up in Ireland. Most Irish Jewish families will tell you that story as if it's totally true. Now it isn't, but uh, but it's it, it, it's seen as absolutely true. In the same way, this story like is seen as so normal, and but it's it's a story that. Um, you know, people laugh at and they think it's kind of funny. Um, and, and for me, it sums a lot of things up. Um, is, and P, I, as I said, people tell me this is every communion. It's an annual story of the child. It's always there's of a child who um, didn't make it to the church uh, for their communion because, do you know what happened? She was, it's always a girl, she was getting her hair done. So they were, getting, they were so delayed with the hair getting done, they just went straight to the hotel after <laughs> so they missed the actual church service and went to the hotel to do it. So in other words, now people laugh at that and people say, oh, isn't it great? And they sort of half admire it, the pluckiness of it, you know, like thinking that actually the, the actual ceremony of the communion is sort of like a, a minor inconvenience to get to the party, you know? So in other words, most people don't see the religious aspect of the sacraments. They don't see that the most basic of religious sacraments, like baptisms, communions, confirmations, church weddings, church funerals are fundamentally religious. They see the afters as the thing, the party or the wake or whatever it might be. The religious aspect has become completely invisible. Let me tell you another story. And I've told you this one before if you've listened to the podcast, because to me, it really sums up everything about how invisible, how invisible religion is to most Irish people. Okay, and um, I, I just think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a good story. I don't know what you'll think yourself. It's during the marriage referendum uh, back in, was it 2015 or 2000? Yeah, I think 2015. The country, basically Ireland decided they were going to put to vote. We were the first country in the world to vote as to whether we would allow um, LGBT plus people to have the same marriage rights as straight people. I'm sure most all of you are old enough to remember this. Now, the Catholic Church, as nobody will be surprised to hear, was totally against it, and they were campaigning for a no vote, as is their right, because in Catholicism, they do not believe that anyone uh, should be able to marry unless marriage is between a man and a woman. You'll, you'll get that in, the, in your, in your uh, RSE programme. An acquaintance of mine was in the thick of the Yes campaign. Really, really, I mean unbelievably in the thick of the yes campaign. She spent evenings going door to door, canvassing for a yes vote. She wore the vote yes and love is love badges everywhere she went. Um, most interestingly, anyway, to me, she spent 
you know, an astonishing amount of time on the internet giving out about the Catholic Church. You know, I I, I campaigned on the uh, on the whole thing, and I never I never man I I just I never mentioned the church in any way, shape, or form. For me, it was all about <laughs> it's just equality. But she was absolutely on the on the like everywhere, anywhere she could, she would be giving out about the Catholic Church and effectively, you know, using the using the term that became quite popular and smashed the patriarchy. And she spoke passionately about the abuse the Catholic Church rained upon children, about how the Maynooth Seminary was basically like an orgy of homosexuality and about how many priests these days have to hide their sexuality and how wrong, um, no, no, let me quote her directly, how evil the church was. Now, the vote passed, as we know, and the very next day after the, the, the vote passed, it, voted, it passed on a Saturday, so on a Sunday, the, that next day, I saw a, 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 the, basically this uh, person uh, put a photo of herself up on Facebook, and it was uh, a photo of her standing with her daughter, and they were both smiling, and they were both really very, very happy. The daughter, by the way, was wearing a communion dress and they were standing at an altar in a Catholic church. That, to me, is how invisible the Catholic church is to a lot of Irish people. I think this is a good place to pause and reflect. I haven't gone to Catholic schools week yet, but I felt it was important to maybe give a little bit of a background about how an alien like me feels when I hear about things that are just normal, the road signs on the road. And in the next bit of this episode, I'm going to finally tackle why I don't think Catholic Schools Week is something that should be celebrated, in Ireland at least. And that's where we'll turn to in the next part of this episode of If I Were the Minister for Education, I Would Scrap Catholic Schools Week. So there we have it. Uh, That is uh, the end of part one of, well, we'll see, I think maybe two parts, maybe three, I don't know at this point. But um, I want to say just before I finish this episode that I know this is fairly close to the bone and I hope um, you know, maybe you're angry with me at the moment, or, or if you're not angry, you're, you could be dismissive of me uh, in my thoughts, and that's absolutely natural. Um, but I also know there are a lot of teachers in Ireland who do struggle with this and do work in denominational schools, and they're 95% of the time very happy working there because 95% of the time they just get on with their teaching and they do try and, I suppose, make that space more tolerable for themselves and their own beliefs and the beliefs of a lot of the children in their class because they genuinely do want to include everyone in their classroom. But the trouble is they know that they have to do what they have to do. I have been that soldier and, you know, I must say I've been lucky enough that I was able to, I suppose, carve a pathway for myself that uh, I am in a situation where I don't have to pretend to be someone that I'm not and I don't have to lie every single day. But not all teachers have that privilege, and I understand that. Um, you probably have someone on your staff that is going through that uh, at the moment. So please, you know, I suppose, keep that in mind before you get angry at me. Um, I'm just saying, I guess, how I feel 
Um, it possibly isn't how you feel, but it certainly is how a number of uh, teachers who you probably work with are feeling. Look, in part two, I'm going to actually go on to exactly why uh, Catholic Schools Week shouldn't take place in Ireland. And uh, I look forward to talking to you then. Thanks so much for listening. All the best. Bye bye.